Today's scripture is Hebrews 2, 5 through 15. For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. But someone somewhere has testified, what is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. The word of the Lord. This is the third Sunday of Advent. season, we're looking at the first four chapters of the book of Hebrews. The title for the series, as you can see on the cover of the bulletin, is Jesus, God, and Man. And I keep asking you guys to look at this cover because my son Isaiah designed this using some existing designs that we had. I'm very proud of him, which by the way, if you're interested in design, we'd love to feature your artwork as well on our bulletin cover. Just talk to me about that later. But this image right here of the manger is the image that captures those words, Jesus, God, and man, that this baby in the manger is, according to the words of Hebrews chapter 1, the radiance of God's glory, God himself. As I've been studying Hebrews more this week, I've seen many biblical scholars and commentators saying what I was mentioning last week, that these chapters, Hebrews 1 through 4, are probably the on this idea, this mind-blowing concept that Jesus can be God and man, this core Christian belief. So they're theologically rich, but at the same time, these four chapters may be the most practical place in all of the Bible that tell us Why does that matter? Why does it matter that Jesus is God and man? There are four so that's. Four times the words so that appear in these four chapters. And the focus of my Advent messages is on these so that's. What difference does it make that Jesus is God and man? If those words, which are mysterious, hard for us to imagine, hard for us to explain and conceive. If they are true, then what difference does it make? So having established that Jesus is God, we looked at this last week in chapter 1. The focus of these four chapters in chapter 2, verse 5 and following shifts from the 100% divinity of Jesus to the 100% humanity of Jesus. So today, Adam already, he stole some of the thunder because this was a part of the liturgy, but today's focus 
and you can tell in the uh, sermon outline, if you're looking at that in the bulletin, is Christmas for the dying. I told you last week that this series would not be cozy and cuddly and comfortable because life is not and comfortable. These past two years, we could say, at the very least, have been non-cozy and some non-cozy years that we've all lived through. So my extremely non-cozy, blunt entry, passing away, or we say loss instead of death, out of respect, uh, but also, I think, as a way to avoid saying those words we don't like to say that we fear. We say celebration of life instead of funeral. And again, I think that's to emphasize gratitude, but also maybe sometimes to avoid grief. What I've noticed is that many of the old hymns that we sing, many of them end in the last stanza with a stanza about death or a stanza about life after death. But many of our modern worship songs don't want to touch on that topic. The rule of St. Benedict, which was a way of ordering uh, a life around the gospel, written in the 500s, a long time ago, said one of the tools to live a good life, one of the tools we need in order to do good in this world is this. Day by day, remind yourself you are going to die. I know. It seems off. It seems a bit strange. It seems a bit out of place to talk about death during Christmas. Christmas is about Jesus' birth. But Hebrews 2.9, if you look at that with me, it tells us that Jesus was born to taste death. And one of the words of the great Christmas carols, he was born that man no more may die. But in order to do that, he had to taste death. So this morning, I want to talk about three things. Uh, zooming out from that text, Hebrews 2.9, that he had to taste death for everyone. Three things that Christmas means for the dying from this passage first. The first thing this passage tells us about dying and death is that death is an enemy. Before we talk about death, we have to talk about life. That's what the author of Hebrews does here. If you look at verse 5, it says, He has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. So he's referring back to the Old Testament. Many quotations, I think there are seven quotations that he quoted from the Old Testament in chapter 1, verses 5 through 14. All those were saying Jesus is not an angel. He's not just a heavenly being. He is God. And so he's looking back at those verses and he's saying, God has not subjected to angels this world that is to come. What is this world to come? It's the world on the other side of death. It's the world that the Bible describes comes into being on the other side of the death of all things and the end of all things in this present world. And he's saying here, in verse 5, the Bible teaches angels don't have the place of supremacy and rule in that world. Human beings do. And he quotes Psalm 8. 
Psalm 8, if you're not familiar with this psalm, it's one of the most important passages in all the Bible when it comes to anthropology or what it means to be a human being or what God thinks about human life. Very, very important psalm. And he quotes that. And he says, what is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. If you want to have a starting point to understand what it means that you are a human being, that we are human beings, this is a great place to start. But when we talk about death, Hebrews says, let's start here. Let's start here. Do you know what it means to be a human being? Do you know what it means to be alive? And what is true of each human life according to the Bible? Before we talk about death, we have to get this right. It means God remembers you. Another way to say that, God is mindful of you and your life. It means that God cares about you. Not just as one in a mass of humanity, but God is mindful, he thinks about your life, and he cares about your individual life. We are made lower than the angels who are heavenly beings, spatially speaking, who exist above us. But this psalm says we are destined for something greater than even the angels, crowned with glory and honor in our creation and destined to rule over everything in a way that reflects the glory and the honor of God. This is the teaching of Genesis 1 and 2. This is the purpose of each and every human life, all of us here. This is the starting point of the Bible and talking about what it means to be human. So when we talk about human beings and when we think about ourselves, we don't start with sin and death. We start with dignity in value and worth. And the purpose and the destiny that God intends for every single human life. This is very, very important and I hope I can do this justice to drive this home. Here's an illustration. When we say, uh, my laptop died. You know, my phone died. My plant died. We say, okay, that's inconvenient. That is a nuisance, but I can go get a new one. I can get a new phone. I can get a new plant, etc. But when we say, a person died. When we say, any human being died. From the womb to 110 years old to a person on the streets without a home, to those who have been very sick and suffering, to those who have disease, to those in prison on a life sentence, to those who die suddenly and unexpectedly, for every single one of them, there is a glorious, absolutely unique life that God remembers, that God cares for, that has been lost. There is no get a new one and move on. No, death the enemy has taken a glorious life. Christianity teaches that death is not just a part of life. Christianity teaches that death is not a part of the circle of life. This is just what happens in this world. This is not the necessary yin or yang opposite of life. We have to have death. No, it's not something we accept. It's not something we make peace with. Death is an enemy. And when an enemy army would come in to your town or your country or your city or whatever and come 
and ransack the place and destroy and harm and damage. You would never say, it's just a part of life. This is just the circle of life. No. You would grieve. You would cry. You would get angry. You would do everything that you can to find a way to get a victory over that enemy. Isn't that right? I read one author say this week, one thing that draws her to Christianity is that we are allowed to hate death. And that resonated and rang true with me. 1 Corinthians 15, which we read earlier in the service, quotes the same Psalms that Hebrews quotes here, Psalm 8 and Psalm 110, when it says he, Jesus, must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be abolished is death, for God has put everything under his feet. That's Psalm 2.8, or that's Hebrews 2.8, that's in Psalm 8. This is the gospel. This is the message of Christianity that all the enemies of human life and purpose and the destiny that we are intended to live into, that we have not been able to defeat, Jesus came as a human being, as one of us, to defeat for us. And death is one of these enemies. Sometimes when we think of death, in light of the biblical story, we think of death as a threat that God uses, not an enemy that he hates, that he battles and destroys. In Genesis 2, the first mention of death, God told Adam and Eve in the garden, if you eat of the, the, tr- the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. I think we are meant to see this as less of a threat and more of a statement of consequence, such as if you stick your wet finger into the electric socket, you shall surely get shocked. Life is found under God's rule. Life is found under God's blessing and in perfect obedience to God, the one who made all things, as Hebrews 1 said, the one who made the entire universe. Death is outside of God's presence, authority, blessing, and obedience to him. What is sin? What is sin except us wanting God dead or treating God as if he were dead? Anytime we step out of obedience, anytime we step out of the authority of God, out of his rule, out of his word, we are saying, I don't want to treat you as if you are my creator the ruler of the universe, the great authority who knows me, who remembers me, cares for me, and knows what's best for me. No, I'm going to do this instead. So sin is treating God as if he were dead. And yet God is the source of all life. So when Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, similar thing is going on here. It's saying the payoff of sin is death. When you work for sin, when you labor for sin, then it gives you death because it takes you farther and farther away from the source of life. In Ezekiel 18, God says, I take pleasure, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. He says, I take no pleasure in the death of of the wicked. And he says in Ezekiel 18, why? 
Why will you die? Yes, death is judgment because of our sin. But death is an enemy to the purposes of God and what he made us and made each human life for. All this helps us to have a full answer to the question that's at the heart of this passage. Why did Jesus come and have to die? And please hear this. The first answer we often hear given, and maybe the first answer that we think of, is because we're sinners who deserve death. That's why Jesus had to come to die. This is true, but it's not the full answer, and I don't think it's the, the answer we should put up front. The answer given here to the question, why did Jesus have to come to die, is because we're human beings. We're made for life, dignity, and glory, and he came to restore us to that. When we answer from the context of the whole Bible, yes, Jesus died for us because we are sinners, but it is important that we put up front, Jesus died for you. He died for us because your life is worth so much to him, because you are so valuable, because he so longs for you to live out the intended purpose with with which he made you. Your life is meant to last forever. Let me see if I can drive this home. How do we know how much something is worth? Uh, At the Irvine Spectrum recently, we were there, and I saw in a case this beat-up old comic book. There were just these comic books around, and I heard somebody talking about, like, how much is that comic book over there? (laughs) $45,000. Actually, this, this was in really bad shape. They have a rating system, 1 to 10. It was like a 0.5. So there are tens of this same comic out there. I said, what? what? This is just a beat-up collection of, paper, of colored paper, right? Colored ink on paper, beat-up, sitting over there. Why is it worth 45000 It's a Superman number one, by the way. The first Superman comic ever. I think the, if you have a 10, it's like $3 million or something like that. It's just paper, Right? No, (laughs) it is so rare, and it is so unique. There are not many of these out there, and it's rare and unique, and it's wanted. You can have something rare and unique. I can have a colored piece of paper that I print out, crumple it all up, and put it in a display case and go, (laughs) 45,000. No one will buy it because nobody wants it, but a few people out there, Really, really want Superman, number one. That's the combination, the magic combo, right? When it's rare and unique, and the way that you can tell that it has that combination is how much somebody will pay for it. Here is why I share that illustration. If Jesus, who is God, the heir of all things, who made the universe the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature... There is no more valuable being than that if he would come and die for you. It means you are worth more than you'd ever believe to him. In your mess, yes. In your sin, yes. Even though you would say, I wanted you dead. Even though all of that, this is how much you are worth to him. That's the message of Christmas. An application here before I move on. Death is an enemy. Death is an intruder then. 
It doesn't belong here. It's not a natural part of life. It is an unnatural part of life. So the Christian response to death when it comes into our lives is not to quickly move to life after death and to say it's okay, he or she is in a better place. Yes, that is true. Yes, there is great hope. We're going to talk about that. But our first response should be to grieve and cry, even get angry and protest and say no and to hate death because this crowns the life that was lost with the honor and the glory that they have been given by God. Death is an enemy. And death, secondly, is not something to fear. Now that we looked at how this passage drives home the value and the worth of human life, that death is an enemy, we can look at what it says about Jesus' death and what that means about our deaths. Death is an enemy, a terrible and hateful enemy. But it is also, because of Jesus, no longer something we have to fear. How so? Verse 8, would you look at that with me? It says, as it is. As it is, meaning at the present moment, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. This is a short, very understated way of saying, in life as it is now, as it is, we don't see the glory and the honor and the destiny of humanity. We see sin and suffering and death and brokenness. And it's painful to look at. And it is painful to experience. We often don't see how God is remembering us and caring for us in this broken world. Death seems to undermine all of it. The best in this life is short-lived. The life we see as it is then has a lot for us to fear. Uh, Not just death, capital D, but death with a small d, many deaths, endings and losses, the loss of a job, the loss of a dream, the end of a season in your life, the end of a relationship, aging, the end of your 30s, that was a while ago for me, the end of your 40s, it's coming soon for me, the loss of our youth, we won't go on, we won't go on with the decades. Um, There's so much of our fear is fear of the loss of all of those things. That's included here. And what Hebrews is saying, that if we just see and we just look at life as it is now, we do have reason to fear because nothing lasts. But what this passage is telling us, piece of music I will probably ever mention, uh, but I, I listened to it because my mom growing up would sing every year in Handel's Messiah. And she would practice um, in the house, and I didn't like that. <laughs> I didn't like the music at that time. But over time, I've learned to love it. And it is a, a telling of the story of Jesus from the beginning to the end of the Bible. All it is is passages of Scripture set to music if you're not familiar with it. And towards the end of Handel's Messiah, there's a song that's called Since by Man Came Death. It's from 1 Corinthians 15. And I remembered it this week, and I went back and I listened to it. And when I started playing it, I was thinking, what's wrong with my my phone? What's wrong with my speaker? I can't hear this. It was so soft. And I kept turning it up and turning it up and turning it up. And then I realized after it came blasting in later, like, oh, that was was supposed to be quiet. (laughs) And if you can put the words of Gavin on the screen. This is from 1 Corinthians 15, and these are the words to the song. 
It starts off these two stanzas very quiet. Since by man came death. I'm not, I can't sing it. Since by man came death. It's whispering it. You can barely hear it. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. And then it gets loud. And then it does it again. For as in Adam all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And as I was meditating on this text, I said, wow. This song says musically what this passage is saying. We can't ignore or avoid death. By man came death. But even so, in Jesus Christ shall all be made alive. Death is not the end for every person who trusts in Jesus Christ. When the glory to come, the world to come, when it is ushered in and when we are there, it will be so great, the reversal of sorrow the redemption of death and suffering that we can't even conceive of right now will be so complete that we will look back at death, that great enemy, and it will be like a whisper. In light of the glory of the life of the world to come. This is why Jesus had to come to bring us there. Let's pray. Father, when we talk about death, it's not easy. Our own fears rise up. People rise up whom we have lost. Thank you that any time we talk about death and pray about death and think about death, you are not far from us because, Lord and God Almighty, as hard as it is to believe, you know what death is like. You have tasted it. But Lord, thank you that death is not the end, that our great enemy will be abolished, that we don't have to live this life in fear of death, big D, and the small deaths, little d. And so I pray that you would fill us with hope, reminding us that this is indeed why Jesus has come to set us free, to live with great comfort, great boldness, and great hope. Would you meet us now, Lord Jesus? Would you meet us now with the life that you give at your table as we come in a moment to taste and to see that you are good? We pray in your name, amen.